AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. A lot of times we're talking about various forms of malware on the show, um, but this week it seemed like we did talk about various bugs. We're trying to identify what we think viewers of the show or customers of ours might actually be exposed to. So we want to let them know that this is one you might want to pay attention to. Hey, Matt, uh, I think you were looking at a story about yet another kind of IoT enabling type of device that Lantronics has that has a Telnet some sort of bypass or something on it? Can you tell yeah. me more? So this was pretty interesting research. This guy, Ankit uh, Anubhav, I hope I'm saying that right, did some research in Shodan to say, you know, there's these devices out there and they all seem to be reporting their own password. Why is that and what are they? And it turns out that these devices are two different lines of serial to ethernet bridge devices from Lantronics. These devices are used to bridge serial and ethernet connections. So if you've got a device that has a serial port and you want to be able to manage it remotely, you plug one of these things in and you connect to the interface and it exposes Telnet, you type in you know, username and password there and you're connected. The problem is if you hit them on a particular port, 30718 UDP with a specific request, oh. it will spit out the password which is terrible. <laughs> and it means that anybody can just go up to these devices and practically ask for the password, then log in on Telnet, and right, they right, have right. root on these devices. So the bug itself isn't new. It's actually rather old. And there's an ancient Metasploit plugin for it already, and this thing has been around. I think that the new research is basically showing what the exposure is for this, this bug. It's significant. There's 6,500 plus devices that Shodan is aware of for this one vulnerability. And Shodan, you know, you and I have used it. We know you just go to a device and it shows a little bit of metadata of what comes back. Mm -hmm. Password's right there. It's kind yeah, of the worst case scenario. I was taking a look at this and what I found was interesting is that these devices are like a couple hundred dollars a piece. So they're not really cheap, you know. I mean, I guess in the corporate context, they're, you know, not terribly expensive perhaps, but, you know, they're a couple hundred dollars. So... They're, they're large enough from a form factor and they're expensive enough, you would think that they would have the capability to run SSH or any other you know, more secure alternative than just straight Telnet. You, know, you are going to have these situations where these IoT enabling devices have been around for a while. They're going to require firmware updates, and these firmware updates aren't necessarily going to be terribly easy to apply. You're going to need to you know, take the device, you know, hook it up to some sort of connection. It's going to be offline for a little bit while it refreshes its firmware. And, you know, maybe there's some chance of, you know, corruption and the device gets bricked as a result of a, a bad transfer or something like that. Uh, so there is going to be a heightened maintenance curve to address these kinds of security challenges. But what's more interesting is that they had found 6,500 of these things apparently attached to the Internet. Right. Why? And why, <laughs> yeah. Why? why? And, and architecturally, that to me just makes no sense. I mean, you know, we should be leveraging you know, two-factor authentication and VPNs, and then, you know, going in and connecting to these devices. So at least you have some sort of a compensating control. Uh, so the number that was actually found live on the Internet, that, that was the most shocking piece of the story to me. When you think of these kind of devices, I've seen them before, but mm -hmm. in a data center context. Like, this is on your management network. To allow you to use your management network, which you use to manage everything else that has, like, SSH, but also include the serial devices that are maybe legacy or have some other reason they can't 
directly be Ethernet connected. Right. I know in a lot of footprints, they use these to hook up to really a lot older equipment that might be industrial machines, like, mm. you know, whatever. It might be stamping metal or something or doing something very mechanical and the only way to access it is through a serial port so they're using that to access it or whatever maybe those people aren't really thinking about the security implications i'm gonna guess that they're on the internet because whoever put them there didn't really realize the exposure you know we're not all security nerds and we don't all know that when you plug a device in and connect it to the internet that people are going to be able to find it probably lots of people who don't realize that just being connected to the internet opens you to exposure. People will find that device, they will try to break into it. That might be the real story here, not that we've got something with a bug from like 2012, is that it's the devices behind them, and if someone took the time to figure out what all these devices are, potentially there's more damage to be done to those devices, just using this as a gateway to get to them. I don't think the bug is really that there's Telnet or SSH is being used as the, as the means to access it. It's really what led somebody when they made this device to say, okay, we need to enable something on port 3718 or whatever it is, UDP, that when it receives this packet, it's gonna spit out, or is that just a bug? Is it it's a coding bug or was it an intentional thing put in there by I, the developer when they had made the piece of hardware, the firmware I think the port there? is there intentionally, but it's a malformed request that causes the password to come back. I see, okay. So it's there for some reason. And it's more than the password, it's the entire config, which includes the password. Uh, interesting, everybody makes mistakes, right? And that's kind of why we have this, why we do this show, is to talk about all these goofy bugs that are not easily explained away, but um, developers make mistakes. I'm gonna assume that this is a development mistake as to why this is being exposed like this. Mm -hmm. uh, we know that we've seen other cases like this with routers before in the past where there's weird ports that are open that either allow access or do some kind of administrative bypass to get into them, um, even for like big routers on the internet and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know if that's the case here. I just find it interesting. If you're plugging a device in and you might wanna remotely access it yourself, that's fine, but put some kind of filters in front, put a firewall in front or something to limit access to that device only to yourself or network address blocks where you know you're gonna be coming from. Don't let the entire world to be able to access it. So Mike, the OWASP top 10 is a pretty awesome resource to have to point to and say, these are the things you need to fix on your web applications. And it sounds like we have a new version of it. Yeah, the uh, update for 2017 just got finalized and it's got some fairly significant changes uh, from the 2013 version that came out. Specifically, they've added three new vulnerability categories to the OWASP top 10, XML external entities uh, being one of them. And that was added to the list uh, largely by the output of um, static source code analysis type tools and some, some insights they gained from there. And they also added insecure deserialization as well as insufficient logging and monitoring. And both of those uh, were community input additions. So, you know, organizations that were, you know, seeing these types of vulnerabilities that were saying, you know, these are really issues that we need to be uh, addressed. In order to make room for those three, they merged a couple of other issues and then dropped a few. Uh, so cross-site request forgery was dropped off the list. Uh, as were unvalidated redirects and forwards, and then insecure direct object references and missing functional level controls uh, were actually combined into a new category 
uh, called Broken Access Control. This is a list very well known in the security community of the top 10 web application security flaws. These are bugs that they find are most prevalent and the ones that developers should really be paying attention to in order to sort of get them out of their code. I think it's a great resource. I, I can't wait to go and review what they've got there. So it sounds like they didn't drop anything because it was less prevalent? Did they do that? Or is it mostly a, a combination to allow them to fit more into the top 10? They dropped a few things because, um, like for instance, cross-site request forgery in the population of applications that they looked at over the, the intervening time span uh, was only found in about 5% of applications. So that sort of fell out of the top 10 most prevalent issues you know, which led to some of the other ones being put in there because they were more prevalent. But there are some criticisms about the OWASP top 10, um, you know, especially with these, you know, new updates. Some people are saying that they're not taking into account legacy applications uh, because cross-site request forgery and other issues like, you know, buffer overflows even uh, that were deprecated off the list, you know, a couple iterations ago. Uh, they're still probably out there lurking in, in legacy applications. So as the data becomes kind of more biased toward current development frameworks and applications currently under, under development or support, you're seeing that top 10 sort of shift a little bit in that direction, as opposed to necessarily accounting for uh, vulnerabilities that might be residing in legacy platforms still. That's kind of funny because that reminds me a little bit of our top 10 that we cover for the internet weather every week. And the top 10 that we look at are the ones that are the biggest and most important things to be aware of. It doesn't mean the rest of the stuff isn't important at all. Right, and you right. may still get hit if you've forgotten to close some port that's maybe at level number, number 38 on our list. Right. But it's still a problem. Well, and I think it's the top 10 that are like the most, that where I, I would suspect that we're seeing most of the issues in this day and age mm -hmm. um, in terms of program mistakes that are getting taken advantage of. I will say I got a little nervous when you, sit, when you mentioned the insecure direct object references or something like that, but then you said it got combined together in with the other one for broken access controls, only because in almost 90% of the cases that I deal with looking at web application that's got something wrong, it's broken access or authentication controls on it. I'm glad that didn't get off at the top 10, because for me, that's like in one of the top four or five yep. in terms of what I see most often in terms of programming mistakes on web applications. So These updates are important for the OWASP top 10 um, because it does keep them current, but it does have something of a trickle-down effect um, because other standards will reference OWASP. They, they've been so successful over the years at establishing themselves that, you know, like a PCI DSS references the OWASP directly in, in several cases, but specifically in section 6.5. Uh, you know, where, you know, the PCI standard says current best practices must be used. And, you know, they point to the OWASP and say, this is the one that was current when we wrote this version of our standard, but make sure you're dealing with up-to-date data effectively. So that this, this, this update, while it's interesting from a kind of a sanity check on what developers are doing right versus wrong or what the platform frameworks are helping us mitigate proactively these days, it's also... Uh, kind of a, a, a flag for compliance professionals that they're going to need to possibly, you know, take a look at how they're addressing and, and, and validating that these issues that have been updated inside the OWASP top 10 are reflected in their compliance frameworks. Hey, John, I heard you were reading about the uh, Mac OS bug that came out this past week. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So in 
the Mac High Sierra 10.13 release of uh, the OS, there was a bug that allowed anyone to log in as system administrator uh, using root and no password. This is kind of a quirky bug that not quite sure exactly how it got introduced. The thing that I find interesting about it, not to say anything bad about Apple, but it almost reminded me of, you know, when you're watching a football game and the receiver's going to catch the football and he like almost has it and then it goes in and get it again and he like keeps fumbling it up in the air until he finally catches it. That's kind of what they did with this patch. The interesting thing about this one is I guess Apple maybe rushed the patch out a little quickly that introduced another bug with file sharing. So they introduced another patch and that patch basically overwrote the original patch to fix the root bypass flaw. So you had to reapply it twice. I know we want to get patches out as quickly as possible and it can be tricky. Normally when companies want to push out a patch for an issue like this, especially a serious one, they're going to go through a lot of patch test cycle you know, testing to make sure that this patch is going to work as long as nobody knows about it, you know? Mm -hmm. So when it's a patch that is kind of within their control and it's not well known, they have a lot more time to make sure that this patch isn't going to have any adverse reactions or it's going to have bugs in itself in the right. way that it's going to get applied. It sounds like they didn't really have that opportunity like with this one. Out the door? Yeah, maybe because they didn't have to fix that one problem. Quickly and yeah. it didn't, they didn't factor in some, you know, it didn't get enough testing prior to being released. But that can happen, yeah. you know? Go ahead, Mike. Well, what's interesting is that after all of that, um, when they finally issued the, the, the latest and greatest update of it, it required a reboot, but apparently maybe it didn't prompt people for a reboot because that wasn't clear. So people that applied the patch and thought they were good were still vulnerable because they hadn't done a reboot. Right. So, right. yeah, it, it just it just kind of kept going, you know, one error after another kind of a deal. Right. Oh, it's like, just one more thing. Oh, wait, no, I forgot to tell you about this. Oh, now you got to do that. Oh, you got to reinstall this patch. So interesting, but it sounds like they've got it squared away now. Mm -hmm. And what it means to people who are out there watching the show, if you do have Mac OS 10, I guess it's 10.13, you probably, I don't know, even if you have an older version, you'd probably be updating, but you'd want to make, yeah, the high Sierra version. You want to make sure that you have this patch applied properly um, if you haven't done so, although I think the initial one was like a, a forced patch or something, yep. right? Apple did push the patch without, you know, without user interaction. So as long as you were on and connected to the internet and could hit their servers, right. you should have gotten at least one version of that patch at some point. Right. Hopefully all of them. So um, you want to make sure that it's applied properly. It's definitely notable the fact that this exists at all in a modern operating system. Sounds like it's under you know control now, and it's a good thing for users of Mac, especially if you have 10.13 installed, to make sure you're, you're patched and up to date so that uh, you're not vulnerable to that exploit avenue. Let's take a look at the internet weather for this week. All right. Our top 10 most probe ports. No surprise, the top is uh, port 23, which is Telnet. Uh, 2323 is in second place, yeah, which is... I mean, I assume that's going to be a, an alternate telnet of some it kind. It's usually how they do those. The third one is port 22 TCP, which is SSH, another not so much a surprise. So as for the North Sources probing, we have 23 TCP in the top, followed by 445, and I think those have been there for a while. Mm -hmm. 2323, which is that new contender, is up five places from last week. Matt actually had a whole bunch of things he covered in the internet weather. Some things were not necessarily on the top 10, but he found a lot of interesting ones. Maybe what I would call below the fold, 
we're visiting 23TCP Telnet, and I put in a 365-day view just to give some context. Because in the last seven days, we saw a huge spike. Yeah, it is a pretty And I wanted to know how huge it was, and we've got about a year's worth of data here. And we're, we're not quite seeing the spike that we saw back then. We were peaking out around 380, 390,000 scan sources. Mm -hmm. And we're still hitting around 350,000 scan sources, but someone is super interested in Telnet again. Right. And as compared to what it was for the past, most of the year here, it was kind of languishing in the 100 to 150-ish range. At 445, I took a 365-day view again because we've been seeing it slowly trending upwards for a very long time. And it actually looked like we're yeah, starting so to tail like off. It might be going on yeah. a downward direction. I'm very excited. I mean, it's there are be my few, Christmas present. There are a few year. little turning points in there if you're, you're sort of averaging it out that they, there's up and down, up and down a bit. But this is the biggest dip we've seen so far and uh, yeah in terms of a trend that's that i'm hoping that it continues that direction uh, that's interesting yeah so there's this port 37215 that we saw a spike in and i believe it's related to a recent ars technica report they're saying that there's some vulnerable huawei router devices right that yes, have something right. exposed on this port and while the details really don't seem to be public as to what that is the fact that there's a report on it and then there's some sort of concerted scanning for it there's something worth going after on this port. Right. So they said the scan flows per hour are peaking out somewhere around 190 million. Is that yep, how? That's right. Yeah, 90 million. And before that, there before was almost nothing. Very little, right? And I to took nothing. a look at the number of sources for each of these, and it's still like a relatively small number of sources scanning for all of these. Okay. Except that whoever it is that's interested now is definitely like banging on it like crazy. So they they've got something they think is is worthwhile. So. Mm. Like we said, well, there's been some reports that somebody definitely knows how to use that to yeah. exploit devices and are taking them over and recruiting them into a botnet. Mm -hmm. I think it might be a Mirai variant, Mirai like, like yeah. my, yeah, maybe not the exact same source code, but similar. So that's an important one to watch. Mm -hmm. We also talked about the Lantronics bug recently, right, right. and I wanted to see how what kind of scanning has been going on for that. We also have a significant spike. I always kind of wonder if it's you see a spike because. Someone discovered it, started scanning, someone caught it in their honeypots and said, oh my goodness, there's a bug here. Or if it's the other way around where someone said, oh my goodness, there's a bug here. And everyone said, oh really? Oh, let me scan for that. So it's, it's hard to say, but this was almost, this was basically, it started somewhere in, in mid-November and mm. it's definitely the highest we've ever seen it as of maybe yesterday, right, that right. kind of scanning. And there's only two sources here that I was able to pick up on that were scanning for it, but you know, you see a, a pretty significant amount of scanning coming out of them. This is an Orbix bug that we talked about a couple weeks back. I just wanted to sort of check in on it because it was a significant spike. And we'll still see some traffic for it. You know, it's scan sources per hour in the thousands. It's it's not as exciting anymore. It's no longer as as maybe profitable for the scanner to do that. The main source was in Ireland at the time. And it's something to do with distributed applications. So I just wanted to see where we were at, sort of follow up on it. Well, it's definitely botnet related, just based on the shape and the number of them, because you're getting, you know, somewhere between like 600 to 2,000 devices-ish participating here in mm -hmm. unison, and there was nothing prior. So uh, I don't, I didn't know about this one. I guess I'll have to follow up with you after the show. I don't know about this Orbix okay. vulnerability. Cool. Um, and 53.413, you said you had done some research on it, but yes. I wanted to see where we stood on it, and it's nowhere near the spikes that we saw back in the end of October. There's still some scanning going on. It still made it into the top 10. It's still in there, and uh, when I actually looked in our honeypots at the activity we're seeing, 
I'd say like, I can't remember the exact numbers, but one out of every 10 packets is an actual Netis router exploit packet. Okay. The other ones are some sort of HTTP looking thing where it just does get slash host colon www. That's what That's it's it. asking. Yeah. Get. Uh, it's what? a very strange packet. Okay. And we're seeing most of the volume is generated from that, those types of packets, but I don't know what they're angling for. Um, so it's curious. And there's another interesting spike that I saw, and I'm not really sure what this one means yet, but it was definitely something in the last day or and a half that out of nowhere blew up to a couple thousand, around 16, 17,000 scan sources. Yeah, that's a lot Yeah, to jump up that quickly. Absolutely. So all I could find for this port number was that there was a, a Metasploit module from 2014 dealing with a specific Realtek SDK SOAP implementation okay. uh, that had a command execution bug in it. So, I mean, it's Realtek. I know them mostly through their, the use of their system on a chip for, like, IoT devices. Right. You've got UPnP here, which is often used for local network administration. So it has that sort of IoT feel to it, another IoT bug. Um, also interesting is that this most is of This is just today, it looks like. Yeah. It just started, 12.05, right? Yeah. yeah. And most of the sources are from this one... Colombian company. So this would be a good case where we should collect up these scan sources, although there's a lot of them, it looks like 16,000 of them, uh, and try to figure out, you know, you could use Shodan to go see, hey, do these things look like they're similar? Um, are they some one manufacturer for the device or something that might give you some hints as to what might be getting exploited? You know, on these things in order to, because that looks very suspicious. You don't see zero to 16, thousand devices overnight yeah, um, unless it's a botnet yeah that's not normal that sounds like there might be some sort of botnet related activity there to go from zero to sixteen thousand overnight uh, especially in unison like that that's what i got all right good one thanks at this point all i have is a, a theory not very well substantiated but it seems like people may be gearing up to build their botnets for christmas and the holiday season I know that on Christmas of last year, there were a few groups that tried to launch denial of service attacks against online gaming companies. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.